Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingas. Shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready, because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss... How to keep your customers happy when you don't meet their expectations. The expanding QR code experience and enhancing your offerings to meet your customers where they're at. Flexibility, mobility, and accessibility. Oh my! Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty-gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. So before we go any further, I got to ask you, Joey, how was the trip? It was absolutely, positively amazing. Now, I kind of thought you'd say that, but maybe you should let our listeners in on what trip we're actually referring to. All right. Well, last year, my great friends at Maverick 1000, Yannick Silver and Sophia Umansky, sent out an email invitation to join them on an epic bucket list once in a lifetime trip to the elusive seventh continent, Antarctica. And when I got this email, I'll, you know, true stories here, folks, I was laying in bed and reading and my wife is in bed reading next to me. And I looked at the email and I was like, oh my gosh, I have wanted to go to Antarctica since I was in the second grade and found out that Antarctica was a continent. And I had this vision of getting to all seven continents before I was 30 and that didn't happen. And then I had a vision of getting there before I was 40 and that didn't happen. And I've been stuck at six continents for a long time. And I thought this might be my chance to make it there before I turn 50, all seven continents. I showed the invitation to my wife and in yet another proof point that marrying Barrett was by far the smartest decision I ever made in my life. She said, so you're going to reply and tell them we're in? And I thought, yes, I am. And that began the moving towards completing this bucket list goal. Now, I got to tell you, one of the cool things about this is we went with a program that runs in Antarctica called Antarctica 21. And the business is named that because they believe that this is how travel to Antarctica should be done in the 21st century. I don't know how much you know about Shackleton and all the explorers that tried to reach Antarctica over the years, Dan. Are you familiar with some of these stories and the craziness that happens with trying to get to Antarctica? I could say yes, but then you'd ask me a follow-up question and I'd be in big trouble. So I'm going right. to go with no, enlighten me. Okay, so some of our listeners may know Antarctica has obviously been the seventh continent. It's a difficult continent to reach. It's a continent that is just covered in ice. And to get there, you have to sail across the Southern Ocean. And usually the way you go is from the bottom of Chile, kind of the tip of South America, 
across to what they call the Antarctic Peninsula. And that passage of water there is called Drake's Passage. It is considered to be one of the roughest parts of the ocean in the world. They regularly get swells that are 80, 90, 100 feet high. So you pretty much cannot go from southern Chile to Antarctica without getting seasick. That's basically one of the major challenges. Not to mention that it's questionable as far as safety goes and it's a little crazy and rugged. And of course, this has gotten better over the centuries compared to what it was back in the era of the early Antarctic explorers. But Antarctica 21, the company we worked with, actually puts you on a plane in southern Chile and they fly you to Antarctica. So you land on this gravel strip in Antarctica and begin your adventure there by taking Zodiac boats out to a boat that has specifically been built to navigate these waters. Think of it as kind of like a mini, mini cruise ship. It only holds about 100 people, 100 passengers, and then there's the staff and crew, of course, and you kind of work your way along the peninsula on the island. So it's a pretty cool, amazing setup. So we get all set up to go. We get down to Punta Arenas, which is the town in southern Chile. We're all set to go. And in the hotel that morning with our fellow travelers, there's about 60 of us, we get informed that because of bad weather, we're not going to be able to fly that day. So our flight isn't delayed a matter of hours. We're not going to be able to fly that day. Now, keep in mind, this is a six-day trip to Antarctica that just became a five-day trip to Antarctica. Uh-oh. Well, that doesn't sound like a very auspicious beginning to your trip. And obviously, I'm guessing this was, you know, as you had a lot invested at this point, time, money, etc. So I'm guessing people weren't that happy. No, you you are correct. People are not happy. And to be honest, I was kind of one of those too. It's, and it's not that I was unhappy with anybody in the program, but I was just disappointed. And this is the part of the story that I wanted to highlight. It's how this was handled. So long story short, they set up some other tours. They kind of take us around in Punta Arenas, which is this lovely town in Southern Chile that we wouldn't have gotten to see much of because it was really just kind of a pit stop in on our way to Antarctica. So we got to see a little bit more of that. And finally, we arrived the next day. So instead of arriving kind of midday on day one, we're now arriving around dinner time on day two. We have this great flight. We land on the uh, on the gravel runway. It's crazy. You can hear the gravel kicking up onto the side of the plane. We walk along the runway in a single file line because there's other planes landing with scientists and you know taking people out of Antarctica. And we hop in Zodiac boats and we go out across the cold saltwater sea, uh, splashing in our faces as we make our way to the boat. We get onto our ship and we... Uh, settle in for dinner, and then we have our first briefing. And in the first briefing, like any good customer experience, they address the elephant in the room. And the elephant in the room is that we've quote unquote lost a day. But from the outset, they preach that this is what being an explorer and a traveler to Antarctica is like. They talk about Shackleton being frozen in the sea for, you know, a year and a half. They talk about how the catabatic winds can impact the planes. They talk about how weather can roll in and out in a matter of minutes and that you can't really see it coming. And they really start to instill this idea that we are adventurers. We're not tourists. We're not just travelers. We are adventurers. And as a result, we need to be flexible and resilient. 
And this sets the tone for the remainder of the voyage. Well, I like that, you know, when you reframe a problem, sometimes people can experience it in a completely different way. And yeah, you the downside was you thought you were going to get there a day earlier. The upside was you got to experience Chile. Now, did you do your homework in Chile like I asked you to, Joey? You know, I was looking. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, you may not know, Dan Gingas has a number of relatives in Chile. And regrettably, I was not able to identify any of your long lost missing relatives. But I did keep my eye open for devilishly handsome men that were follically challenged walking around on the streets that I could ask if they were related to Dan Gingas, but alas, <laughs> I did not see any. Well, thanks for checking. I <laughs> but it was a day it. for effort. Yeah, you're totally right about the reframing though and, the, and this idea of how you message it because let's be candid, that wasn't the only time that the weather impacted our trip. Now, as it turns out, most of the days we were there were gloriously sunny. Almost everyone has asked me, oh, Joey, it was Antarctica. How cold was it? Friends, it was actually colder in Iowa by 20 degrees than the average temperature we experienced in Antarctica over the time we were there. So if you want to really be cold, don't trip. book a trip to Antarctica. Book a trip to Iowa in the winter and you'll get that full experience. But Antarctica was pleasant. It was beautiful. It was sunny. But the wind would whip out of nowhere. And these, they call them catabatic winds. They would come in. And when I say winds, I mean it would go from zero wind to 70 miles an hour wind in under two minutes. And it would blow 70 miles an hour. And then after a few minutes, you know, anywhere from two minutes to 20 minutes, it would just stop and be gone. But that also meant that the sea kayaking that we were going to do was dramatically impacted. And that was another opportunity for them to preach the flexibility. And they said, look, we would love to be taking you out on the sea kayaks, but with these winds and as you look at the water, you'd be flipping over. And this water's really cold. By the way, it's so cold that if you flip over, we're not going to teach you how to flip the kayak back over or how to get back in the kayak. We have a Zodiac boat that's following along behind you. If you fall in the water, your job is just to tread water until we can quickly pluck you out of the water and get you in the boat because the water's really chilly. So throughout this entire adventure, they're preaching flexibility. And it's not just with the weather. You know, on our very first landing, we came to an island where there were somewhere between 150 and 200,000 penguins. I mean, literally penguins, as far as the eye can see, Adelie penguins. Absolutely stunning experience, absolutely stunning aromas because with those penguins come penguin guano and it was just this crazy adventure. But the flexibility of, hey, we think we're going to land on this part of the island. Oops, wait, we're not because there's some newly hatched baby chicks over there. So we're going to slide down here and we don't want to disturb their environment. There was kind of this ongoing theme of flexibility, which when you think of like a luxury you know, trip, doesn't really match up with kind of our vision of luxury trips. But when you think of an adventure and particularly an Antarctic adventure, that positioning, that messaging made it feel totally okay. Well, folks, we have our first ever reference to penguin guano on the show. <laughs> and I can't wait for the next two segments of this episode. We're going to hear more about Joey's trip to Antarctica. <laughs> well, yes, indeed. It was an amazing trip. We had a great experience. I 
am not using this segment to necessarily talk about Antarctica, although there's going to be a little PS script at the end of this segment. So bear with for that. But before we get to that, let me just say what my big takeaway was for anyone in business. There are going to be times where the experience that you're trying to to deliver to your customers doesn't go as planned. Now, sometimes that's because of mistakes you make. Sometimes that's because of challenges with supply chain management. Sometimes that's a third-party vendor does something that messes up the story. Sometimes it's just the weather. How you message it, the attitude you bring to the table, the empathy and the understanding that you bring is going to determine the level of experience that your customers have. And I believe, especially after having seen the way the remarkable team at Antarctica 21 and at Maverick 1000 handled our weather challenges while we were in Antarctica, I was inspired to realize that there's pretty much no challenge that can't be overcome if we're willing to approach it with a little bit of flexibility, a little bit of resilience, a little bit of understanding, a little bit of empathy, and think about how those things can combine in the way we interact with our customers. Now, before I sign off, I want to put a little plug in here. I went to Antarctica as a traveler, but I am leaving as an ambassador. The Southern Ocean, which is the ocean that surrounds Antarctica, needs to be protected. It currently has some of the most abundant wildlife in the world. It's amazing to see the biodiversity, to see this untouched by human hand, land and space. But the reality is humans are impacting it. And so I am part of a group that is leaving Antarctica as an ambassador, hoping to raise some money for marine protected areas or MPAs. These are basically some areas that we want to work to protect the ocean ecosystems. Starting in East Antarctica, the Weddell Sea, the Antarctic Peninsula, it'll help protect the biodiversity and mitigate the impact of climate change while providing some great opportunity for scientific research and preserving this place. So hopefully if you haven't had a chance to go to Antarctica, you get a chance to go in the future and witness the same beauty and majesty and epicness and vastness that I got a chance to witness. So if this is something you'd be interested in supporting, I'd love it if you'd consider a donation. Even a small one helps. You can learn more about this by going to joeycoleman.com slash Antarctica. That's joeycoleman, J-O-E-Y-C-O-L-E-M-A-N.com slash Antarctica. And you'll find more information there. Thanks so much. And uh, we appreciate your support. Just because you have required elements of your business doesn't mean they need to be boring. It's time to get creative, have some fun, and make people sit up and take notice. Get your customers talking when you make the required remarkable. What do you think of QR codes, Dan? Or for those that may be listening that aren't familiar, QR codes refers to quick response codes. Well, you know, and those are those codes that are like a a little square and it's got all these kind of squiggly lines and dots and stuff. And you're supposed to take out your camera and take a picture of it. And then it opens up a website. And it's weird. They've had a a very interesting history. They started off as going to be the next big thing. And then they sort of, I don't know, died off for a while. People seemed kind of negative towards them. And they're making a comeback. And uh, I have to say... I've used them a number of times, uh, including in my keynote speeches, because I offer a free 10-day CX challenge that people really like taking. And rather than having to read off a long URL, I just put a QR code up there and 
And uh, it's interesting. I don't really have to say anything. People know exactly what to do. They all take out their cameras and take a picture of it. So I'm, I would say I'm a fan. I love it. Well, I'll admit, in the past, I didn't actually see the value of QR codes. I thought my friend Scott Stratton's book, which was called QR Codes Kill Kittens, was absolutely hysterical. And I found QR codes to be clunky and misused and misunderstood. But in the last few weeks, I've started to see more uses for them. And I must confess that I've increasingly become a fan as a result. Really? How is that happening, my friend? Well, to start with, when we found out that our Antarctica trip would necessitate transiting through Chile, we learned that we would need something called a Chilean mobility pass. Now, you know, to get if, you, a, if you knew one of my family members, you could have totally bypassed <laughs> I totally, I totally should have found a way to reach out to the Genghis family to get the hookup on the mobility pass. But to properly go through channels and get a mobility pass, you have to submit documentation about your COVID-19 vaccinations and booster shot. And once those are confirmed by the Chilean government, you're approved for a mobility pass that allows you to travel freely throughout the country. Now, the mobility pass is a QR code that you then save as an image on your phone. And whenever you want to enter a restaurant or a store, a staff member at the door scans your QR code mobility pass, which then takes them to a page managed by the Chilean government that confirms your vaccination status. Now, in the past, you would have had to have a special camera app on your phone to scan QR codes, but now it's just built right into the operating software of iPhone and Android phones. So you literally just have to point your camera and kind of everything happens automatically. Exactly, which makes it much easier to use QR codes because you don't need some special app. You don't need some technical skill to know how to work this. You just need to know how to open the camera on your phone, which is pretty straightforward because as soon as it recognizes the QR code, it shows the associated URL. You press on that to click on it and you're automatically transported to the landing page. Now, what I loved about this is the ease of use and the limiting of paperwork. In the past, when I was traveling internationally and needed to carry customs or immigration paperwork or anything about vaccines or immunizations that I had received, it required me to fumble through pages of documents and addendums to my passport. And I had to present the paperwork that was necessary for the situation and then hope that the person that was requesting that documentation could fully understand it and knew what they needed and that it was current and that it was in order. But here in Chile, I could just open my phone go to my favorites in the camera roll, show them the QR code, they do a quick scan. And I was all set. It was seamless, it was efficient, it was environmentally friendly because I didn't need to print anything. And as information was updated, the QR code would link to the most current and relevant page, making everything convenient and easy for everyone. Not only me, for, but for the various stores or restaurants that were trying to decide whether or not I should be allowed into their space. Yeah, I love this. Uh, there is so much that is still so paper-based. And, you know, we talked uh, last episode about the U.S. government trying to move away from paper. Hallelujah. There's just so much that is done in a way that technology has already solved. It's just a matter of whether we're using it or not. And I love the idea of just being able to have a simple code that kind of has everything on it. I'm shocked that at this point, we don't have our entire health histories accessible to us on our devices. I know there's a lot of reasons why, but I do think that that is coming. And, uh, and I think this is, a, this is certainly what's also ironic is that this is a better experience 
that I'm seeing here in the US where you're walking into a restaurant, you've got somebody who's not at all trained in looking at vaccine cards, basically just wanting you to kind of show something so the cameras kind of catch you showing something. They're, they're not even looking. Yeah, I mean, you could hand somebody a blockbuster video card and they'd be like, ah, oh, yeah, you're good, you know? And what I loved about this is, you know, regardless of your opinions about the vaccinations, if we are going to have rules that you have to show proof or documentation, let's at least be smart about how we do this. But you know, what's interesting, Dan, is it wasn't just the mobility pass. In every restaurant we visited, they'd done away with printed menus. There was a little sign on the table showing a QR code that once you scanned it, would show you the menu for the day. This allowed for up-to-date menus presented in multiple languages that were easily accessible. It reduced any hygiene concerns they had about multiple people using menus or like cleaning menus between customers. It avoided printing costs. And with almost every patron carrying a smartphone these days with some type of internet or Wi-Fi capability, it was super easy to use. I love it. And I do think, again, that there's so many opportunities for us to use technology instead of paper. And yeah, we have to watch out for people that might not have smartphones. But I have to tell you, as I look around, I am stunned at how many people, at least in, in the United States, do. And I, I think that you know there's certainly ways around it if we have people that don't have access to phones. But I do think... Because I mean, even theoretically, you can print out a QR code if you have the ability to print or you could go to the library or something. And, and that, that code can still contain all of the same information if you don't have a, a phone to display it on. So I do think that it is uh, it really can solve a lot of problems. I agree, Dan. And you know, it's interesting. I, I did a little research uh, before we talked about this because I was curious. Pew Research Center released some research last April showing that the vast majority of folks in the United States, 97%, own a cell phone of some kind, and that 85% of those are smartphones, up from 35% back when they did this first survey in 2011. So while there's certainly still some people in the US that don't have a smartphone, the vast majority have them or at least will be dining with someone that does. And in fact, because the internet access could be spotty from time to time, I would actually access the menu, take a quick screenshot, and then hand the phone to my wife so we could, quote unquote, share the menu. So I think there's a lot of ways that we can incorporate this technology. That's so cute, Joey. Yeah, we do. Oh, you guys sharing your technology. We, we do. But let me tell you, using the QR codes during our trip was definitely interesting. But the QR code application was accelerated even further when we returned home and were watching the Super Bowl. As many of our listeners probably noticed, there was an ad during the game that featured a QR code floating around on the screen in kind of a retro Pong-esque fashion. And when you scan the code, which I did during the commercial, especially with my newfound QR code skills, it took me to a landing page for Coinbase, which is a cryptocurrency exchange platform. And on that landing page, new customers were offered $15 in Bitcoin for signing up and creating an account. In fact, so many people scanned this code during the commercial that it actually crashed the Coinbase app for a while because so many people were signing up. Well, that's interesting. And I, I have to imagine that Coinbase is the big winner here because of just the amount of data they were uh, probably willing to collect. And hey, once there's a free $15, might as well sign up. So <laughs> I'll, I'll be looking for their next uh, earnings report where they talk about all of their new customers. But it'll be interesting to see whether that drives 
actual cryptocurrency coin use or just simply people looking for a free 15 bucks. What's interesting though is either way, it got our attention, right? When I mentioned that ad, most of the people listening know exactly what I'm referring to because it was the only ad with a QR code. In fact, it's probably the only ad you've ever seen on TV with a QR code. At least I know it was the only ad I've ever seen on TV with a QR code. So what can we learn from all this discussion of QR codes? Well, sometimes technology that you thought never really worked the way you wanted it to will make its way back into more effective uses. What are you doing to use technology to create more seamless, efficient, environmentally friendly interactions with your customers? Can you make your passes or your tickets or your receipts electronic instead of paper? Can you use a QR code to give ongoing updates so the customer has one QR code, but you update things on the backend landing page? Could you take your product catalog online instead of printing it and just send people a postcard with the QR code that when they scan that, they get to see your video or see your catalog? The fact of the matter is the possibilities are limitless. And if you want to create the best customer experiences possible, you need to constantly be iterating and innovating when it comes to your use of technology. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? You mentioned needing to get COVID tests to travel down to Chile and Antarctica. What did you need to do to get back to the U.S.? Well, Dan, I'm glad you asked because I had a great COVID test experience that I wanted to share with you and our listeners. <laughs> now, a great COVID test experience. That is a phrase I haven't heard much of in the last two years. You are correct, my friend, which is frankly why I wanted to talk about it. What folks who haven't traveled internationally may not know, and I didn't know this until this is the first time I've been out of the country in basically two years. But since December 6th of 2021, the federal government has required all travelers arriving into the U.S., including U.S. citizens and non-U.S. citizens, to show proof of a negative COVID-19 test from within one day of their initial flight departure or documentation that shows they recovered from COVID-19 in the past 90 days. And as such, we needed to figure out how to get a COVID test in the remote region of Patagonia, Chile, where we went to, after our time in Antarctica, we went to Patagonia for a few days, and we needed to figure out how we were going to get tested in this remote area before flying home. And not only did the test need to be taken that day, but more importantly, for any of you that have taken COVID tests, we needed to be able to show our results and have those back before our flight so that we didn't risk a delay at the lab, lest we miss being able to board our flight back home. Exactly the kind of adventure you want to have the last day in a foreign country or frankly, any country for that matter, is trying to find a doctor in a lab testing facility. Precisely. But once again, the team at Maverick 1000 that hosted our Antarctica trip was looking out for us. They got us Binax Now COVID-19 test from Abbott. Now, Dan, have you used any of the home COVID test? I have. I've used the Binax Now. I've also used a couple of other different types, including one that was kind of cool. It had a Bluetooth that connected to my smartphone. And I even got my uh, free tests from the government yesterday uh, in the mail. So uh, yes, I have some experience here. You're familiar with a variety of these. I love it. But for folks who are listening who may not be familiar with this, 
basically you get a box, you can open this up. Inside is a swab and a little dropper. You put the swab into your nose, you activate it with the agent and it lets you know whether you've tested positive or not. You can do this test at home. What was different about this test is that in order to be certified for the airlines and for U.S. Customs and Immigration, it needed to be kind of a proven test, like a test that was reviewed by a third party. So here's how the system worked. First, you go online and you register your account. And once you're logged in, it says, would you like to start your test now? I clicked yes. And the first thing it pops up and asks is, do you have an ID, i.e. your passport, and your unopened testing kit as well as solid internet for a 20-minute session. Thankfully, I did. So I hit yes, and I connected to administrator. Now, the first thing happens is this person comes on. It's an audio feed. They can talk to me. I can hear them. They can hear me. And they said, we're going to activate your camera. It activated the camera on my laptop, and it said, we need to verify your ID. So I held up my passport so they could see that, and then I pulled it away and looked in the camera so they could make sure that it matched and lined up. And then they scanned the QR code, interestingly enough, on the kit to confirm that the kit was associated with my name. And then they said, we want you to open the kit and keep it flat on the table in front of you. The kit needs to stay in our view at all times. Now, this was particularly interesting to me because somebody had thought through the process of, we want to make sure this is a legit test. They then walked me through the test, open the little card, put the little six drops of the activation agent in, put the swab in each nostril, spin it around a couple of times, stick it in the card, spin it around, And now we've got to wait to see what the results are. Next popped up a countdown timer and it was 15 minutes. And they said, look, for the next 15 minutes, you don't have to sit in front of the laptop, but you can't move the test. The test has to stay in the view of the camera this entire time. Don't touch it, don't move. And in 15 minutes, when the test is done, a button will appear, you click that and we'll reconnect. So as the timer clicked down, they were playing some educational videos about how the test worked and why this was valid and why it was useful, et cetera, et cetera. And when the end of the timer was reached, a little button appeared that said, the 15 minutes is up, reconnect with the administrator. I reconnected back to the same person who thanked me for taking the test and then verbally and visually reviewed the results. I held up the little card and showed that thankfully I was negative for COVID-19 They confirmed the results and literally a minute later, I had the official letter from their medical professionals that I could use when I went to board my flight back to the United States. That's pretty cool. I mean, most of that description is exactly what I went through with the one that I uh, was able to connect to my phone where it has a countdown timer and it too has to stay in one place because you have to stay within Bluetooth connection to the phone. But uh, the, the part that's really interesting is this addition of the, the human element, the person that's kind of observing you. And I'm guessing that that's what allowed you to pass whatever exam you needed to, to have that third party approval. Exactly. That's what made it, quote, you know, an official test. Because, And I understand if, if somebody was doing it on their own, they could say, yeah, guess what? I tested negative. And it's like, well, how do you know they tested negative? Oh, well, here's the test. Well, how do I know that you took it a day before? And how do I know that you followed the procedure properly? And how do I know that you swabbed your nose, not someone else's nose? You know? Uh, Ew. So, yeah, exactly. Gross, but something they were concerned about. 
But here's the thing. I get it. Some of the people listening may be saying, but Joey, I'm not in the pharmaceutical industry or Joey, I'm not in the healthcare industry or Joey, enough talking about COVID. I don't want to talk about it anymore. I get it. But here's why I wanted to share this specific story. In every offering you have for your customers, there are some small enhancements that you could make to open up entirely new markets and new offerings. By creating a verified test, Binax Now's home COVID test became usable for my flight and my admission back into the United States. By adding that extra step, granted, the administrator watching, which certainly costs a bit more, and that cost was passed on to me in buying the test, they gained a different type of business from me while also garnering this word-of-mouth promotion for their service. So I ask you, what offering do you have that could be slightly tweaked or enhanced to create a new version? Could you add a personal touch to something that right now is a do-it-yourself or you know, an automated approach product? Could you add some type of a certification to make it more real, more authentic, more legitimate? Could you make your product more useful across other interactions like Binax Now did by taking their personal testing kit and giving it a higher level of approval and certification to make it valid for air travel and customs and immigration admittance? Sometimes the little changes can result in a dramatic increase in the potential market, the prospective profits, and the overall customer experience. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show... Yay, you! We're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts, and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience. Yes.